time to go into auto reverse with Tony and Matt, where we look at bands that were underappreciated, misunderstood, forgotten, and to some unknown. This week, we're going auto reverse on Bumble Pie. Hi, one of my favorite uh, classic rock bands uh, had an interesting beginning, which I really never knew the the total story behind. But it's 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 kind of interesting how it kind of started. Yeah, I, I honestly I didn't know either because um, the whole like small faces into humble pie transition was always uh, mysterious to me. Um, but I guess Steve Marriott was frustrated with the direction of the small faces and he started bitching about it to Peter Frampton and they both bonded on their desire to, to do something different. And I guess uh, Steve Marriott's original idea was to just pull Frampton into the small faces oh, wow. uh, as, as an, an, a, a new member. And I guess Ronnie Lane and, um, Ian, and uh, and Ian McClagan didn't like that idea, uh, but he he persisted, and I guess Glenn Johns, the producer, invited Frampton to that their last ever the last ever Small Faces recording session, which was with this French singer Johnny <laughs> Halliday. I actually went and listened to that record that they they were the backing band. I guess they made it in, they made the record in Paris, and it's quite good. I mean, it's French. But it's yeah. quite good. I mean, how bad can a record be when Small Faces are your backing band? Yeah. I um, so he, so they, he, put, so Glenn Johns pulled uh, Frampton in there as an as an additional, uh, you know, uh, studio musician for that recording, and I, I think that just broke them, and and that was it. Um, like I think the following year, in '69, uh, Marriott. Uh, left Small Faces and formed Humble Pie with with Frampton, and they made the f they made those first two records for Immediate Records, right? Um, Safe as Yesterday and Town and Country, and I didn't know this either. But the review for Safe as Yesterday in Rolling Stone, they they proclaimed that their sound, uh, um, Humble Pie sound, is heavy metal, and that's considered one of the first references to that. Uh, to that term ever well um, I didn't even I didn't know right. that either and they didn't and that was not the only first they were considered the first super group weren't they because that's they were, right because they're bringing right. the uh, the guy from uh, spook spooky tooth the uh, killer bassist Greg Ridley yeah uh -huh. and then uh, a young uh, guy from another band uh, Jerry Shirley I forget the name of the band but he was pretty young uh, and yeah it was the first you know kind of merger of you know big talent at the time to bring into one band and I you know th there's definitely um, even in the first couple albums which are kind of kind of hinting at what the possibility of the band is you could they're, they're very how well everyone plays together um, vocally songwriting wise too you look on the song credits and everything and it's not like all Steve Marriott songs it's all not Frampton songs there's a lot of you know Greg Ridley songs, and there's a mm -hmm. lot of bands that the, just the whole band put into it. So, although although those first three records, so Safe, 
Town and Country and Self-Titled, there's there's sort of like clues and 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 little things that that sort of were foreshadowing of like what they would become. But like for example, like Town and Country, it's kind of acousticy, almost folk-ish. Yeah. Uh, not and it's so it's like I think they were feeling it out, you know. Um, I, and there were also issues on the first two records, a uh, label that they were on, wh- who I, I love Immediate Records. Um, it's Andrew Lloyd Oldham's uh, record label. Um, he, uh, I guess they were having financial problems. So Humble Pie had a transition out of being on that label and they focused on the American market. So they signed with A&M. Right. Um, and I didn't know this either, but Don Arden was the small faces manager uh what's her name's uh father um horrible person um sharon osborne (laughs) so so uh who i got into an argument with on the phone once when i was working at uh at um blue grape merchandise do tell awful awful awful, all right do tell don't open she was managed she was managing this band called cold chamber who were awful one of these like god i hate dime dime a dozen uh like ozfest bands from the 90s and uh i don't know some bullshit related to uh t-shirts on on the ozfest tour and you know she had no one to yell at because my boss was out of town and she called and just started yelling at me and i let her have it too. I didn't care because I was going to leave that job anyway. Um, but she was a real awful person. Um, uh, but Don Arden, her Don Arden. her father was a famous famous uh, music manager. Um, so there was all this stuff like they got caught up in the immediate deal and then moved and then moved to A and M, where I really feel like that was where they belonged, like where they where it all like kind of came together they for coalesce. them. Coalesce. Coalesced. Coalesced. Yes. Yeah. So why don't you tell me about like what do you when you hear listen to this first couple albums because there it is really kind of like a band trying to find footing uh, over the, the first couple albums you like you said you hear kind of peaks here and there uh, like home and away and some other songs where you can kind of see where they're kind of there's more voc- vocally and how they're playing with the melodies and 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 such and the songwriting too is becomes a lot stronger in my mind but uh, what was that like. Most people are, you know, like my entry into Humble Pie was, you know, I don't need no doctor or mm-hmm. uh, 30 days in the hole or hot and nasty. Mm-hmm. But what was your kind of your journey into finding them? Because like I like most of their early stuff came like after I was re- started really, you know, after I kind of went got live at the Fillmore. I'm like, OK, what I got to go full on on this band. My first thing was when um, there was a store. So there was a store on St. Mark's Place called Rocket Science, Rocket Science, Rocket right. Scientist, Rocket, Rocket Scientist, Scientist, right? Yeah. yeah. And so this guy John that owned the store, he carried a lot of CDs, and he had a lot of vinyl also. But uh, he carried a lot of import CDs, tons, uh, and it and a lot of it was this sort of like hard rock, hard psych, progressive stuff from england and so there were these like immediate records compilations so the uh, they would whoever it was the company would take a band that was on immediate and put everything together on these two cd sets so there would be a humble pie one a small faces one and so i bought the humble pie one 
just because I knew Humble Pie, the name from classic rock radio, like you said, the 30 Days in the Hole and all this stuff. But I didn't know the deeper stuff, like the earlier stuff on Immediate. So I bought I bought it and um, and I started listening to it. And I loved the, the early stuff. And uh, and so and I didn't know that about that about them. Um, I think there was a nice there was one uh, there was a nice one, the nice uh, just th- things like that. And so it's like, basically I was using these CDs as a way to introduce me to all their earlier material. And that's kind of and I didn't know this about Humble Pie. I just kind of knew the stuff from Classic Rock Radio, the later stuff. And and I, you know, it intrigued me. It like added layers to my knowledge of them, about them. And um, that's how I got introduced. And then later on, I went and found the original LPs. I think in the U.S. market, they put the first two records, Town and Country and Safe as Yesterday. I have it. It's a double. Right. So like once they became I've seen that sort too, of yeah. well yeah they became well known in the American market um, they reissued that on two records um, on A and M and I th- and then and then I got even and then I got into the stuff they were known for smoke the smoking record right, uh, right, Rock right, in the Fillmore right. and and my favorite record uh, Rock on. Right, yeah, the last Frampton, the last Frampton album. That's right. I yeah. love that yeah. record. I and that's a record that kind of evaded me, uh, you know, evaded me for years. I didn't, couldn't find it. I didn't know it that well. And then once I found it, I was like, um, I was in, I was really into it. It became my favorite. I actually bought two other copies and gave them to friends just because they were they were looking for them too. And and so you know, so Humble Pie is like it's, you know, I, I've, to me, I guess when they came out. Um, and when they broke into the American market, I guess they were a common band. And now that I look back at, from watching that movie, Almost Famous, I feel like that movie, more than anything, was an ode to Humble Pie. Maybe that's not how Homeboy wrote wrote it, but to me, it like their the whole journey yeah. of that band and everything. It just it just it it reeks of Humble Pie of like what they what they were trying to do in the American market mm-hmm. and. Um, but, so yeah, so it's yeah. a long journey back and forth, learning about earlier stuff in the middle and later stuff at the end. You know, it's it just you know, it's crazy. Well, it seems like also it's like when you take the super group component to it. Like okay, and the only super group of that era that I kind of would compare them to because that's the only one I use as a frame of reference would be Cream. And the difference between those two bands, like Cream, kind of just launched into what their sound was and just kept rolling with that. And I think Humble Pie, it was more of a journey. So I, you know, it's funny that you give a super group and then you give them like three albums to get their footing, which it, which it, you know, not saying that their first albums aren't good. It's just like, I think that they were playing what they knew at the time, probably dabbling in stuff. And they're, they're interesting to look back on because it's, it's something that you could see where they're really, I, I wouldn't say patient, but they're kind of being thoughtful about their exploration. Whereas, you know, if you could play to, to Cream, it's like Cream is like, okay, I'm gonna do this. We're gonna do all blues bass turned up to 12. You know, I'm gonna do 20 minute solos, um, you know, and we each take us, you know, we each write a song and whatnot. I don't think there's that. And I'm gonna say Cream's not, you know, doesn't have like kind of an eclecticism to it, but I just don't think they're, they just basically put their stake in the ground and erode that stake. I don't think there was as much exploration, which you see with Humble Pie, because I didn't think Humble Pie had that, that, that journey that they did. I thought it was like, okay, guys, we're getting Frampton, Marriott, 
we're going to get together, we're going to just riff and rock, you know, and that's not a, that's not what they're about at all. Yeah, um, it's the Humble Pie are awesome. What I'd like to ask you is like, tell me, like, why don't you walk me through a little bit your appreciation of them? Because there's kind of a lot with this band that you can take in, and some of it's you got to kind of scratch the surface. So, what do you, you know, what is it about? Is it Merritt's like singular voice or the, you know, the, the the guitar interplay? I mean, there's so much stuff that the bass and also the really like guy that bass player is a monster. Um, oh yeah, I mean he he's like the free bass player. What was the Andy uh, Freeze gonna kill me because I love. I him know, him. I know. Yo, uh, jump on that magic uh, magic machine and figure out what Fra who he was. Fa but he Frazier, Andy Frazier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like that kind of just like really like it becomes like part of the the whole thing. Um, and what was the bass player's name in in Humble Pie? Uh, Ridley. Uh, Ridley. Yeah. yeah Ridley. Yeah, so for me, I, I would have to say what my appreciation is really Steve Marriott. I mean, it, just his, that quivering, soulful voice, uh, it just it just gets me every time. Um, I, it's hard. It, that that was, that, that yeah, the guitar playing is awesome. Uh, and a lot of, but, but the, just him, um, there's something about him. Uh, yes. It's that soulfulness. It's that sort of like that attitude that it's it, it's both it sounds strong and 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 vulnerable at the same time it's just it's just, it's this beautiful thing you hear it in the small faces too which who i love as just as much uh although a different dynamic and a different band but um so yeah it's 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 marriott first i didn't know this either that which is a very uh, important part of their sound is is the guitar that um that Frampton used that 54 uh, Les Paul custom. He used that for basically the for all of Humble Pie, and then for even and and he even continued to use it during his solo stuff. Frampton comes alive, and that that guitar Crazy was story. on was oh on a God. plane with the crew that crashed in Venezuela. I guess during Frampton comes alive right. days, and everyone died on the plane. But somehow the guitar survived and was given back to him yeah, in like 2011. 30, yeah, like which, 30 years later. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, where was, where was that guitar that, for that uh, 30, those 30 years? Some, some kid's fucking room just, you know, jamming <laughs> out on that. He's probably like go, walking through. He saw this case for guitar. He's like, oh, sweet. No, I think it like, yeah, we got just discovered and it got, he got reunited with it, which is just insane. And it was given to him at, by a fan 
that yeah. guitar. Yeah, yeah, it was given to. That, it, there's a lot of craziness about that guitar, but yeah, it ultimately made its way back. I think that, you know, back to Marriott. You know, the I kind of have a revelation about him when I was listening to his voice, and you know, with a little bit trying to play a little bit more attention to, and it really came to me when I was listening to Black Coffee. He is. He embodies the same thing that Tina Turner does. Like he is. <clears throat> he is a male version. Of Tina Turner, he has that same roar, he has that same bite, but he has that what you're talking about—that vulnerability that comes when he brings it down to a whisper, and he's pulling you in closely. Like he—he—he he, he is that. He there's as he's the only person I can compare to singing-wise that where they keep your attention, you're wrapped with attention when they're singing, and it's not just one kind of song. It's like he when he does the acoustic, it's him and an acoustic guitar, or Dude, the, the band, like if I were going to say some sum up Humble Pie in one, like one song, I would say listen to Stone, um, Stone Cold Fever. Just like that, ooh, Stone Cold Fever. Just like that, just like you, he has you after he says that line. You're, you're going, you're not going anywhere. You're listening to the rest of the song. Uh, and it's a great counter, the way he sings it, even his cadence during that, which is kind of a little counter to what the rhythm of the, the guitars and everything are, or the, the running counter to him. It just makes it very, it's just a really, I think that that, for me, encompasses the, what's unique about the band um, in one song, because it just has his vocals, which are um, just are insanely, um, what was it? Not insanely, um, just pronounced and emotional, and, and and you're unable to not listen to it. And then they got the guitars, the rhythm, and the bass are really just playing this really just bare bones rock, but not in a silly barroom way, but in like a big stadium, like we we own this, we own the stage type way. And I think that that's what I I like about their band. There's a little bit of sweetness with swagger. Yeah, and the fact that they're, that the the live record Rockin' the Fillmore is such a cornerstone of people's record collections and what people know of them. Like the, the fact that a live record could have that much impact, that just shows you the kind of band they are. Because yeah. generally, live records are throwaways and not taken as seriously as as solo records for most bands. I mean, right. not not all bands, but for most bands. And um, and so that and that that live record. And also like the sort of like in between song intro talk. Yeah, yeah that, that 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 just well, kills me. I had I had a friend Sam that would imitate that, like <laughs> Steve Marriott. Do he would do it constantly, and it was funny as hell. But it also gave me chills. I was like, yeah, that's like that's the shit. The and the <laughs> fact that someone someone I knew would quote those his in between. You know, it, Banner, he yeah. wasn't. You know, it was just. It, it was he wasn't quoting Paul Stanley he was quoting I knew you were gonna Marriott. I knew you were gonna go there I just count I had my clock counting it down here we go the obligatory any, any kiss kick to bash kiss I'm gonna do it count that um, but yeah so that that and then and then he took it a step further it, it's um, I I bought this record at Amoeba um, years ago eat it the yeah. double LP that he did when he hired the uh, those um, Singer, the, the black uh, black ladies uh, uh, to mouth. sing backup and sort of created a I think they were called the blackberries that was the name yeah. like the name they came up with them came up for them and um and like 
and he sort of created like the soul R&B review, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of act acting like the uh, like they were like the Iquettes. And it's just like it's, you know, he took it further. And and I, I appreciate I appreciate that because, I mean, as you know, I, I love R&B and soul and collect yes, a lot do. of it and, and DJ a lot of it. So to see a guy like who's really known as a rocker, you know, um, take that on and do it in a legit yeah. not pandering kind of way it's it's awesome yeah you know speaking of which about the rocking way i would be you know we would be remiss if we didn't um mention the contributions of clem clemson to the thing because he basically played on their most popular albums in terms of smoking yeah. hot and nasty smoking and and really good guitarists i mean i he you played with the coliseum um and then he replaced the humble pie. But did you know that he played? He and Ridley, the, the bass player, uh, joined Cozy Powell to play form a band after Humble Pie called Strange Brew. No, I did not know that. And uh, now I'm going to run to my yeah, I know. computer the, and, and try well, to listen hold to on, it. Hold on a second, because there's two more bits of information about Old Clem. That's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty amazing to me. He also auditioned for Deep Purple, but lost to Tommy Bolin, lost his spot to Tommy Bolin, who is, has you and I are, are just, he's like, you know, a magician to yeah. you and I. But he also, um, he played in this band called Rough Diamond with Uriah Heap singer David Bryan. Oh. So those are two bands, Rough Diamond and uh, Strange Brew. Strange Brew. I'm going to check that out. But yeah, oh, I think wow. his contribution to, because... His guitar playing is very similar to it's it's complementary to Frampton's. Frampton, what I liked about his is that he would play a lot in the rhythm, so he'd have a deeper, warmer riffage against Marriott's playing, which would tend to be a little bit on the higher end. Uh, but I think the uh, you know the his guitar playing, his chops, as they say is was just as good as, as Peter's Frampton. So when they made that transfer, uh, I, I think you know it didn't make the band worse. It could have even made the arguably made the band better. It's possible, yeah. And you know, and I, you know, I brought up the uh, the the whole thing earlier about um, Rocket Scientist, the store in St. Mark's, right. and it was in the West Village before that it moved. Uh, that that was the kind of place where you could find a Rough Diamond or Strange Brew oh. CD, and <laughs> you know what I mean. It was yeah, that yeah. kind of store. He went that deep with everything. And I used to go in there and drop like two, three hundred dollars a month uh, on CDs and LPs. Um, and this is before streaming and stuff. So I would take the C I would take the CDs Dang, and download them onto my computer and then throw it on iTunes and and put it on my we, iPod. We talk you know? about our dime bag days or two or three hundred a month. What do you? How do you get getting that kind of cash, my friend? Well, there was that period uh, where TP was flush with cash uh, between when I when I uh, got investors right. between uh, okay. 2004, 2005, and 2009, and I was just I was uh, expensing uh, record purchases yeah. for those four or five years, like research. nonstop research, yeah, research, <laughs> research, <laughs> quote, quote unquote. So, but I would go to that store. I mean, I went to a lot of stores and bought records, but I would go there because it was near the office. It was like my local spot. And yeah. he, 
he was like the uh, the pusher man. He knew what I liked. And oh, that's so always I nice. Was, ah, I, that's was, I was always going in there. The neighborhood um, store that knows yeah, what you like. That's that knew what I like. And he, he was a very controversial. Uh, the guy that owned it, John, was a sort of controversial figure, uh, uh, com- sort of combative and stuff. So he, I, I, when I would be in there, he would like throw people out. And it was just like, and he hated like all the dudes in D generation. It would just, like, any opportunity to rip on them, he would, uh, which was weird because then I would eventually put out a record with one of the guys from D generation with Mikey Wildwood. So it was, I had to keep that a secret and not tell him that I was doing that. But, yeah. um, but uh, yeah, so so yeah, Clem Clemson. I, I, I you know, I, when I was reading about the band, I was like, man, they, he just slid right in there and really. You can't. Like you, yeah, you made a difference. You cannot really tell riff wise who if that you know unless you're a really big fan of Peter Frampton. You you can't really tell where like when most bands replace a guitarist, you could tell it's not it's really easy to tell just because their way of phrasing their sound you know their equipment they use and. You know, some guys like using effects, other guys don't, and whatever. But you, I could not tell. Like, I always thought, quite frankly, I'm ashamed to say that, that was Frampton on 30 Days in the Hole and Hot and Nasty. I thought that was well, Frampton playing. And Yeah, me, me too. It wasn't until I started to read about... Well, no, I knew that Frampton left at some point. I just yeah. didn't know where. I wasn't, no, I, I wasn't sure. Yeah. sure. yeah, yeah. S- Same thing. I knew that he left, yeah. but I was like, well, that's a great hit. That must have been with Frampton. He's the hit maker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I will say something about this band that speaks to it, you know, you know, maybe a final thought about this, is like they, they and you alluded to it, every, good, every bit is good in the studio as they are live. I mean, or yeah. live as they are in the studio. I mean, just a dynamic band. Maybe arguably better live band. I don't know, but they were a band that was the force of what made them great. Came across on both in both, both in both the channels. They would both they were they the power of what made them great came across on record, but also came live. And you know those are one of the bands I would put on my short list of if I could see live in their prime, they would be on that. They would be on that. Oh, definitely. But I will tell you after they made Eat It the record in 73 i believe after that it was kind of like they put out a, a few other records thunderbox and street yeah, yeah. rats i don't i didn't even really put that stuff on the playlist because of songs because yeah. i just don't like those records Me and, and then and then he died in in 91 he died in a house fire do you know anything about that it's it's it, there's barely any information online um i think i, I, remember, I, I, remember I don't know passing but yeah. I don't remember what happened. Like, yeah, I don't. Like, those are the kind of things where I'm just like, shit. It's like he uh, he was playing guitar in a bathtub and he got electrocuted. You know, I, it's like House Fire kind of explains it to me. I don't even really, you know, whatever the detail is. I, you know, it's not around, but left a lot of great shit. So he's probably know. he probably he probably died the way uh, my neighbor. Um, it's probably a cigarette. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like left burning somewhere and he was asleep. That's yeah. how my neighbor upstairs from me died. He was in his armchair and he was smoking and he left. He fell asleep and it burnt It burnt him and the chair and then the whole upstairs apartment. Yeah. So it's not know. the good kind of hot and nasty. No, no, not at all. And and uh, he's he's such a force, Mario. And considering like he's just a tiny little guy that just made such an incredible sound uh 
I mean, should we it, do this? I've, should we do this annoying game of what food or thing would you refer? Would you relate to them? Humble pie. Well, it's got to be a pie. It's got to be what kind of? Say, I would. I was going to say but the is same it savory thing. Savory or sweet? I well, I'd, I go. Tell me. Strawberry rhubarb. So you got that little tart. Mm. You got that tartness. That kind of. It's like it gets your attention. It's not. It's a blend, but the elements that make each of it great stand out to me. Imp but I have an important question about that. Go ahead. A la mode. No. I I, I, you don't I need the I, ice cream. No ice cream? I'm not a big I don't I my I got temperature sensitive teeth, so the, the ice cream oh, shit. Dude, don't oh come on. Alright, alright, alright. So well, no a la mode, no ice cream. I, it, well, it, it's a crutch. A la mode's a crutch. <laughs> if you're got, it if, makes it makes it, a stale it, piece of it, pie it, taste better. Exactly. <laughs> you bring them out when you got when you need the help. That's an SOS. Okay. Okay, they, you're right. It's a pie. Do not need help. No, they no, they don't, no, no SOS. Don't need help. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, on that note. On that note. So, everyone, great playlist that is Tony put together, and I can't tell you how many times I've listened to it, uh, mostly for the stuff that I hadn't heard, but even the stuff I had, you know, the four-day creep, the I walk on gilded splinters a lot. There's some great live stuff and the great studio stuff. Please listen to it. But more importantly, let us know what you think. You could do that either on social media. We're on uh, Facebook and um, Instagram, or you could shoot us an email, autoreversepod at gmail.com. Uh, and we're always open your suggestions because we're always looking for bands to review and get reacquainted with. So, all right. Till next time. Peace.